0: Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Today, are talking about how to succeed in product management, and we're joined by Nora. And Nora has actually been giving quite a few hours of her time uh, doing mock interviews uh, for the the program. And we're really grateful that she's been conducting mock interviews to help people get to the next level in their career. And that she's giving us an hour of her time to talk today about the product development cycle, the process that she's been using at several companies in her career to take a product from idea to ship. And for those of you who are aspiring PMs, wondering our product managers, UPS or FedEx, ship is uh, the cool lingo for when your product goes live. Um, hopefully, I captured that correctly. But anyway, I'm off my game. But we are here every week, thanks to Red and Sumeya, who are advisory board members for the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. We're trying to build a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact, leveraging the interdisciplinary faculty, the wonderful businesses we have here in our backyard in Seattle, and bringing it to everybody to create, help enrich your lives and help you get ahead in your career. Uh, So Nora, speaking of careers, I kind of spoke a little bit about it. You've been helping individuals get their first product management job. Tell me about your first product management job and kind of your journey and product to where you are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Maybe I'll just start with a quick intro of myself, and then I'll answer your question. So, hi, hey, everyone. My name is Nora Tan. I am a product manager with about three, three and a half years of experience at this point. I am also a first-generation immigrant, half Malaysian Chinese and half Thai, so I very much appreciate all the work that Jeff and the rest of the team are doing. And it's really important to me to give my time back to others. And I am so, so excited about the people that I've connected with so far, And I cannot wait to see what everyone does in the future as product managers. I grew up in Seattle, and so the University of Washington is very near and dear to my heart. But I did go to Stanford for my undergraduate degree. And while I was at Stanford, I had a chance to initially pursue a biology major. And about two and a half years in, I switched to my own major in engineering, which I designed to be a mixture of computer science and product design and management science and engineering. And so with that quick context, maybe I'll give a little bit of my journey into getting into tech and share a brief story. I think for myself, I had originally thought that I might be a doctor, and I have always been fascinated by healthcare. I think it's something that touches every single person in our world. And after an experience that I had working in Tanzania at a rural clinic, doing research at this clinic, as well as volunteering... I noticed that what I was really excited about was observing the problems that were occurring due to a lack of technology. And we can imagine in the middle of Tanzania in a rural clinic, there's not a lot of access to technology and there are still the same healthcare problems that exist. And I found myself wondering what would it look like to be able to design technology that enables healthcare access in in these resource-limited settings. And after I came back from Tanzania back to school, I was inspired to create my own major in engineering. And so that kind of took me into thinking about entering the technology industry. And so to answer your question specifically, Jeff, I think how I ended up getting into product was a pretty interesting path. I think maybe a lot of people think about trying to work for companies like Google and Facebook that have established product management programs But I think for myself, what I was always more excited about was making sure that the place that I worked at had a strong social mission and that it was a nimble place that really prioritized listening to customers and doing a great job at product development. And I think that can be found at the large companies as well. But I was really just wanting to learn as much as I could. And so I think in my first experience in the tech world, I worked at a company called Will, which is an electric mobility startup. And I like to describe them as the Tesla of electric wheelchairs. And they really empower their their users to feel confident in their lifestyle. And while I was there, I just wanted to do whatever I could to help the company. So I did a lot of different projects around business development and sales and marketing. But I did have a chance to start thinking about how to help with their next generation uh, product line called Will Model C. And just by nature of being such a small startup, I had a chance to do all of these customer research sessions, to write up notes, to suggest actions for moving forward. And I kind of took that experience and said that I, you know, I said to myself, I wanted to be open to having that mixture of business development and product management in the future. So maybe I'll just go ahead and pause there. And, you know, that was really the first time I had a chance to work in tech and to work at that intersection of business and product. And just wanted to pause and see maybe if others have any questions or how we want to go from there.
0: Yeah, thank you, Nora. I think we're going to Get to Red here to tell people how they could get involved in today's conversation. Before we get to Red, just so that people know who they'd be conversing with, tell me where you are a product manager today, Nora.
1: Absolutely. So I'm super, super excited to share that just about a month and a half ago, I joined a company called Color, and I work on the product management team specifically for our diagnostics product. And at Color, we really believe in enabling people to live their healthiest lifestyles through different types of services across diagnostics and genetics and software services. Most recently, over the last year and a half, we've been doing tons of work to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's been incredible to see how we've been able to offer services through partnerships with public health departments across the country, with schools, with employers. And we're always expanding. And I think something that's super exciting to me is is the fact that we've built such an incredible infrastructure with these partnerships for both our COVID-19 product and our vaccination product. So we do a lot of work with analytics and dashboards and metrics, as well as just creating a great user experience for those using our, our software services. But we can imagine that with this infrastructure that we've built, we'll be able to expand into other types of diagnostic services in the future. So we're super excited to have this balance of responding to the current moment and the pandemic right now, and to imagine the future of enabling people to live their healthiest lives through diagnostics services. All
0: right. Thank you, Nora. Thank you for being here. And so now we've got enough context that if people want to ask questions of Nora, they'll know who they'd be asking red. Tell them how they could ask questions. There's many ways and remind them what that red circle means so that they know what kind of questions they ask.
2: Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So for starters, the red circle is not for me. I love the color, but it is to tell everyone out there who's on today's show that this is being recorded and turned into a podcast. So if you are interested in listening to this, or if you have friends, or maybe you're listening to this now because you downloaded it, How to Succeed in Product Management is a podcast that is continuously there to service the community beyond what we're doing today in Clubhouse. But to continue servicing the community, we also provided other ways to ask questions. One, you can raise your hand, and in about 20 minutes, we'll open it up for Q&A for the whole group. So you can come in and ask Norris, Maya, Jeff questions. And here's the best one. We have a Slack group. That's right a Slack community for product managers. We're at about 1,300 members now. And if you'd like to join, I'm going to go ahead and uh, post a link to that Slack group right now at the top of this clubhouse. But for anyone else who's listening in that is not part of today, well, guess what? You can DM me, tweet me, or send a carrier pigeon. I don't care. If you say, hey, Red, I'd like to join this community. That's our whole goal of being inclusive to helping give you an open door to product management. So that's the uh, three ways of being involved And uh, hopefully, if you have any new ideas for how we can create community for you, bring them up.
0: We're always listening for more. All right. Thank you, Red. The man, the myth, the legend, the person who launched the How to Succeed in Product Management show, the person who put Sumeya, me, and him together like peanut butter and jelly. It's like the greatest invention of all time. I'm not bragging about myself, but the fact that I get to enjoy spending every Tuesday at 4 p.m. with the two of you is magic. Um, So thanks for making this all possible. And uh, speaking of that piece of magic, Sumeya, your magic is that you could explain why both aspiring PMs and product managers of all Uh, skill levels and career levels can enjoy uh, today's conversation. Today's conversation we've kind of had before, uh, a little bit about the product development process from idea to shipping. And I'm curious, why is this topic so important that we could talk twice? And what could people expect that'll be new and different beyond uh, just hearing Nora's perspective?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I imagine if you put any two product managers or more in a room, they'll have different perspectives on the product management lifecycle in general, there might be different frameworks that everyone follows there there aren't that many, let's say a handful but the nuance is in the types of products we work on. so someone who works on a, a hardware product versus a software product versus a healthcare product versus a, a consumer product. There are so many ways you can cut up or look at uh, the different products people work on, and then if you dig deeper and start talking about the lessons learned and the different dynamics, and that's not just the dynamics within the product themselves, but also within the markets and the geographies and wherever they're playing in, or they're being released in, or shipped in. So I think there is always a lot to be learned about the product life cycle, it, it's, a, it's a very big topic. And as we start having our conversation today, I imagine we will go deeper into different areas. Uh, and so this is not the kind of topic that gets boring because everyone's experience can be different and there is a lot to learn there. So I'm excited uh, to hear from Nora about her experience and to share some of what I've been learning lately myself as I continue always experimenting and learning.
0: All right, Sumeya, that truly is your superpower. Thank you for really making it clear why today's conversation is relevant to everybody. Nora, did you have anything to add to that? Or uh, if not, I'd love to turn to you for just kind of like a brief overview of the process as you see it from idea to shipping, and then we'll get into specifics from there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess I would just preface this with I have only exclusively worked in spaces where there has been an interaction between the physical product and the software product. And specifically with B2B companies, and enterprise software services companies, I've never actually worked for a consumer technology company. And I think that that's definitely something that I cannot speak to, but I can speak to full stack products and what that looks like. So for me, with that context, I'll just kind of maybe share a little bit about how I think about the product development process. So the first thing that I think about is the team that I work with. So usually your team will have your product manager, maybe a few different product managers, you'll have your designers, you will have your UX researchers, your user researchers, you might have content designers, and you'll have your engineers And oftentimes, you might have your QA engineers as well. And I really think about these different functional areas as the core of any product pillar. And across from that, apart from that, you do also have your cross functional stakeholders. You have influence and collaboration with sales and marketing and customer success and customer support, legal, and so on and so forth. And we can really think about The fact that this core team needs to take inputs from your cross-functional stakeholders internally, but also externally. And the most important external stakeholder is the customer. So with that context, I like to always think about if I'm imagining about creating a new product feature or a product line in general from scratch, I think the first thing that's always helpful to do is to write up some hypotheses and a research brief. Here I really think about the scientific method that you all learn in school, really thinking about your hypothesis the methods in which you would take to conduct experiments and validate those hypotheses, and to think about the reports that you might write from your findings. I think this stage of product development is some of the most exciting to me because I really find that there's a lot of possibilities in terms of observing the problems that you see and to imagine without constraints about how you might solve those problems. And so what that would look like is to conduct these customer feedback and research sessions. To enable you to be successful, you might work with your UX researcher and your designer to craft a set of questions that are open-ended, but also allow you to have a structured discussion. And I think after some X amount of time, it's kind of up to you, depending on what you're trying to learn about and what you're trying to build, then you would feel like you have enough customer insights to write a synthesis of those insights. And I really think about taking those inputs into writing your one-pager, maybe sometimes known also as a market requirements document. And I think for me personally, when I think about this one-pager stage, that's when I really want to get a lot of stakeholders involved, both within my core team as well as in those other areas like sales and marketing and customer success. Um, And then that would flow nicely into your product requirements document, which might have more detailed user stories and acceptance criteria at that point. But I think across whatever documentation you write, there's a few important areas to cover. I think it's important to talk about the background for what you're going to discuss in your proposed product feature development. I think it's important to talk about the competitive landscape. I think it's also important to talk about success metrics that would determine if the thing that you build is actually successful, as well as what are the inputs, what are the metrics that you would track to determine those success criteria are actually successful. And then you would want to talk about your user stories as well as constraints and maybe other considerations as well. So with all of that, you know, after a few rounds of revisions and discussion, then I think that's where you start going into the product execution phase in terms of Scrum processes, perhaps using Jira and working with technical program managers to execute. And you would also, along the way, continue creating product collateral, both internal and, and external, that could be used by your internal, st- internal stakeholders and then the customers themselves. And I know I've been talking for a while, but one last thing that I'd like to think about is You do want to do regular quality assurance sessions along the way to look out for bugs and to see if there's gaps in your product. And when you feel like you've met all of the requirements and you've got your phased launch plan, each portion of that launch plan met, then you go ahead and actually launch the thing. So with that being said, I'll go ahead and pause and we can maybe go from there.
0: All right. Thank you, Nora. I think it's really helpful, especially for the aspiring PMs, but that also will frame our conversation on some of the specific documentation and frameworks that will be valuable going forward to all PMs who are listening here. So may I want to give you a moment to say anything to add, Uh, but before I do, I got to give a shout out. We have some return listeners that I always love to see. Amin, the dream, Raul, Nivi, Chris, Parul. So, uh, I see you out there. Thanks for listening again, and feel free to hop up on stage at some point. Raise your hand if you want to share your perspective uh, and get in kind of an exchange of ideas here. Um, so, speaking of exchange of ideas, Sumay, anything to add to what Nora was saying about what to expect in the development process?
3: Yeah, I think Nora was uh, very comprehensive, and uh, you know, level of detail that's that's great to help us guide the conversation. I break up most of the activities that Nora talked about into two or three buckets. Uh, The first bucket is all about discovery, and that's uh, all focused on the problem. The second bucket is around framing, and that's us framing the solution and prioritizing the solution and identifying experimentation, et cetera. And then the last bucket is iteration. And continuously, as a product manager, you're working on any one of the three or all three at any one point in time. I find in the early days in pre-product market fit, there is a, a different sense of urgency, especially around the product identification and the solution identification, that that feedback loop going really faster than than most other times. But in general, at least for in the software and services world, which is where I come from, the the activities that Nora talked about would fall into one of those three buckets.
0: All right. So, Nora, with those three buckets in mind, what do you personally view as the most important? Like, if you mess this up, it's all downhill from there, or I like to usually put things more positively. So, if you knock it out of the park in this stage, everything else becomes easier between those three buckets that Sumea mentioned.
1: Yeah, I think actually the framing portion of what Samia described in terms of framing the solution and the priorities and the experiments that you might take is the one that could either go go really well or not as well. And I think the reason for that is I think it can be easy to fall into the trap of implementing your own biases into what you think is the best solution for the customer. And so after you've done all of your research to hear about the customer's problems and needs, I think the really important part is writing user stories in such a way that it enables Your team to think about the best ideas and the solutions to those ideas. I think I personally view a product manager's job not as being the person that should have all the ideas all the time. I really think it's about the product manager should be framing the customer problem and the need well enough that the best ideas can come from any of their team members. And so I've personally, you know, experienced some times where I think maybe it's been a little bit more difficult to feel confident in the thing that we're building. And I've also experienced times where I think we did such a great job of just being very crisp about, about the customer problem and need, that the teams were really empowered to build the right thing. And, you know, it's just a fact of life. There's going to be times where it doesn't work out as well. And I think it's all about how do you work with the team to come back from those moments and to move forward together.
0: Sumeya, do we get some controversy? Do you agree or disagree?
1: <laughs> you do get some controversy.
3: <laughs> Making your dreams come true, Jeff, here. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I I feel that the discovery phase, the one where you identify the problem and prioritize the right problem, should be extremely important. You know, when it comes to obsession with a problem, uh, thing that we need to do better than anything else. I, I mean, I believe that the, this early stage, the discovery to be much more
1: important than the other.
0: Nora, I will allow you to retort. Do you acquiesce or do you want to stand your ground?
1: <laughs> I think I'll stand my ground for now. Maybe it's just because I feel like I've been lucky in terms of finding the right problems to, to solve. But it could also just be that in my you know shorter shorter experience in my career, I haven't yet encountered as many gotcha moments in that discovery phase.
0: All right. So a little controversy, but it didn't bleed out too much. But Red, this is your chance. Uh, I'm going to keep this conversation going, but I would love for you to tell people how they could weigh in on which of these three phases of the product development process are riddled with landmines, or you know, if you get it right, everything else becomes easier.
2: Obviously, if you want to weigh in, there is a Slack group above that we can start creating a little controversy on in the events channel. So if you're someone who's in our Slack group, just click on the above link and go to your events channel. If you're not, sign on up. But you know, Jeff, I love to stoke controversy. And sometimes I'd like to bring people up from the audience and see if they might want to stoke that fire a little bit, but don't want to take away from obviously Nor and Sumeya. So if and when you're giving me the thumbs up, I if anyone has an opportunity to raise their hands right now, maybe they want to weigh in, have their own opinion, or maybe have a question. Not to kick it off a little too early, but let's stoke that fire if you're open to it.
0: Yeah, you know the fire burns bright here on how to succeed in product management. <laughs> um, and controversy is Red's middle name. You might not know that. It's on his birth certificate.
3: <laughs> to, to, be, to be fair, to be fair, I think there isn't really a single part of product management that's that you can say is always easy. It, you know, as you, as you develop your experience and you have more product sense built. Into how you think about things, you know, where your judgment starts weighing heavily on the process. Maybe some things get easier, (laughs) but I completely appreciate that the solution part and the execution part can be a huge deciding factor. I mean, you look at a lot of the 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 companies or competitors, for example, in the same space. They are solving for the same problem, so you can argue they have identified the right problem. But then, why are some more successful than others. In that space, or when you start analyzing that, then it becomes all about the execution, it becomes all about the solution.
0: All right, so we were trying to get Sumeya to stoke some controversy, and then she played devil's advocate to her own point of view. Um, But that's (laughs) what we love
3: about. I I do stick with my guns. Discovery is more important.
0: (laughs) Excellent. So I want to dive in to... Hopefully you don't mind. I don't
2: want to crash the diving board. But somebody raised their hand that I don't know if potentially they were looking to maybe start the bull run over here, uh, if we're going to go with analogies. But uh, I don't actually know what that analogy is.
0: I don't know what any of those analogies are, but do your thing, man. <laughs>
2: well, I just, you know, April, I saw the cow cow hat, you know, and I thought maybe, maybe this is a bull analogy and I just got lost. Sometimes I say things that are going to be on air and I don't know why I say them. But April, this is an opportunity, whether you have a question or maybe you want to stoke that fire, please, the stage is yours.
1: Um, it really, I'm listening to, I came into this room because it's about product management and I have a startup and I'm. it's that idea of bringing on other people I've had a hard time with to get ideas across. And I was just listening to Nora explaining about, pose it in a way that other people have the freedom to make decisions. I, how, how does that work? And what, like how do you find
4: a good product manager to come on board? And how does, you know, is it full-time? Is it by... Project by hour. I mean, I, and so I don't have to learn every single thing
5: about everything. I just need a team
1: now. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think that for me, when I think about the type of product managers that I really admire and respect, there's a few different things. The one thing that I think is really important for product managers to have is to be excellent communicators in both verbal and written communication. I think another thing is that product managers need to be pretty good at soft skills. You know, there's a lot of work that you're doing in terms of influencing stakeholders. You're not really managing anyone directly, but you do have to manage different people's different expectations and motivations across the roles. And you have to understand the people that you're working with and the context with which they might have about a particular customer situation. And then I think about in terms of communicating things in such a way that it does provide that freedom and flexibility and possibility to imagine. I think that's where I kind of go back to the communication is that if you're able to synthesize the customer problem and the need and the landscape in a really crisp and clear and concise manner, then ideally anyone from any background would be able to read whatever you've written or perhaps in a meeting if you're discussing it they would be able to quickly understand and get up to speed even without having been there in all of those customer discovery research sessions with you. And so in terms of just actually, actually evaluating people in those skills, I mean, I think there's a couple different ways. You know, In the interview process, you can think about proposing hypothetical scenarios that would test for those skills. I think a common one that I see is testing people on their ability to respond to difficult situations and in terms of you know, a stakeholder maybe not uh, being as excited about a potential development um, being pitched. And I think also there's, there tends to be a number of questions that product managers might be getting around more hard skills like metrics and TAM analysis and competitive landscape analysis. So those are, those are some initial things that come to mind for me. <laughs> I, I appreciate you coming up. And uh,
2: you inspired others to raise their hands, too, which is really a big thank you to you. It looks like we have some others who are interested. But before we get to that place, Jeff, I want to give it back to you because I interrupted your springboard, your diving board, into a new topic, and I didn't want to stop there. So April, thank you.
0: That's okay, that was a good question. and I think it, it kind of aligned with what we were talking about in the sense that we've got the product development process broken into three groups. And just to add to what Nora said, I think it's important that you uh, pick a team that has an uh, understanding of each of those Steps that that Sumeya broke out. So you you want somebody who you could lean on who's already done some product discovery and knows the right questions to ask a customer discovery. Sorry, knows the right questions to ask of customers uh, to not to get to the root cause of the problem, not just to uh, hear what they have as a solution. You want somebody who's gotten some practice and, and thought process around welcoming different ideas and identifying the the best idea and somebody who's been ready to prioritize, somebody who's made tough decisions about what comes first and, and what could be backburnered. And all of that, the skills that Nora described, I think, are are important. But you want to make sure that you have people who could help you at each end-to-end of that that process that we, we've been talking about. Speaking about this process, the product development process, I'm going to turn to Nora, and then I hope both of you will chime in on this because I'd imagine your perspectives might be different can you speak to the velocity of life as a product manager, in specific, uh, the velocity of how fast information is coming at you and how fast decisions have to be made in each of these three stages of discovery? Would you call it, Sumea, discovery, framing, and iteration? Yes. So, Nora, can you talk about the velocity of, and like, is it faster in one of those stages than others, and just how often are you getting information? How often are you making decisions and changing? Talk a little bit about that.
1: Uh, And that's a question that I'm thinking about myself right now. I think, you know, at Color, we do a lot of of work with compliance with federal mandates and laws. And as many people probably have heard by now, there's a lot of of mandates by the federal government around vaccination requirements and reporting requirements in general being released over the last month. And I mean, it it really depends. I think that it kind of, for me, I, I try to think about whether or not we are moving at a faster velocity than normal There's a few different areas that I try to think about in terms of helping me consider prioritization. I think about new features to unlock value for customers, and I think about improvements to existing features to reduce customer pain points and improve workflows. I also think about the quality of the product performance, so the system actually being able to support our customers I think about tech debt, which is oftentimes a little bit bit less well-known, but it does kind of impact the quality of life for engineers because there's a lot of work that needs to be done to maintain the code base. And then I also think about the quality of life for other internal stakeholders. And I think across those three, for me personally, I think about four different areas of prioritization. I see one area as being quick wins, which would be high business value projects that are not as complex and not as large of an effort. I also see major projects and big bets as another category. And for me, I think about that as a high business value, but with high complexity and effort. And oftentimes a lot of cross-functional collaboration required. The other two categories that come to mind for me are time sync features. So I see those as having low business value, but they're high complexity and effort. And then the last category is maybes and nice-to-haves, which are low low business value and low complexity and effort. And I share all of this framing because I think it's really important as a product manager to remember that no matter the velocity that you're moving in and the pressure that you might be experiencing – having a very principled approach to how you're making decisions and why you're making those decisions will always matter. And it it really can just depend on the situation of the companies and maybe the stage of the company, if it's a startup or a public company. Perhaps there's a specific event that's happening. So I think about consumer more consumer facing companies like Amazon and I would imagine that they have more pressure around the holidays to support increased consumer spending. And so there's just, there's just a lot of these factors that will always fluctuate, but I, I do believe that if a product manager could have a principled approach to product thinking at all times, they and their team will be able to respond well to whatever challenges come their way.
0: Thank you, Nora and then Sue, the question is the velocity of information and decisions that happen at each of these stages, Either more context or as to what Nora said, or kind of a relative, like when are things moving faster in those three stages you've discussed?
3: Yeah, I, I think this is a hard question to answer only because it depends on so many factors. But I'm just going to talk about general velocity principles that I believe in and I have uh, noticed over time in my work. Pre-product market fit. Your velocity and iteration and when you're working on, on MVPs, it's just a lot. The, the velocity is higher. You're experimenting a lot. You're trying many different things. There is a lot more like a higher urgency. And by the way, urgency, whenever we talk about urgency and, you know, uh, adding that kind of pressure to the team, there is cost to that. So you actually don't want to always be in a state of urgency or heightened state of urgency because that's just not good for the team health. Having said that, (laughs) when it comes to the general um sentiment around velocity higher velocity as you're experimenting in the early days pre product market fit slower slightly slower velocity as you're uh, you're going post growth or you know you're you, you've achieved your product market fit you have addressed mar- high market demand you have stabilized the team then you start noticing velocity maybe going down a little bit and then, as the team coalesces and you have a little more uh, winds under their belts, velocity starts increasing again. And then there are different levers that you press on at different times to to push that velocity. So, yes, the the final answer here is the very unsatisfying. It depends, but I think there are general themes throughout the the maturity of the product where. Velocity can be higher and can be look uh, can look a little different.
0: All right. So, for those just joining us, we are having a conversation with Nora and Sumeya about what to expect in the product development process from idea to shipping, and we've broken it down into Sumeya broke it down into kind of three stages of customer discovery, framing, and iteration. We've been talking about the velocity of them, the how fast information and decisions come. And now my question for Nora is and Sumeya. Favorite framework? Any framework that you find has been most helpful to you as you go through the product development process as a product manager? Actually,
1: recently I saw an, a really good post on LinkedIn from Julie Zuo, who was a former exec at Facebook, and she also has this book called "The Making of a Manager." And I really liked what she was talking about. Um, I think there's, you know, uh, kind of two questions that she talked about. She she talks about on what time frame and under what circumstances. As considerations in the product development process. Uh, because depending on the moment in time that you're in, something could be urgent. But if you just reflect forward and see maybe there's a different moment in time that we're considering this, maybe that thing is not urgent anymore. Uh, I think she also talks about, a lot about not focusing, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, about considering the competition. But it also kind of depends on the time of uh, your product process that you're in. Uh, If something's really urgent right now, maybe you don't have time to focus on the competition. But if you're thinking about the long term of your product and a true product market fit and vision, you do want to focus on the competition. So there's really any number of, I think, frameworks that come to me. But I, I always try to think about asking very specific questions so I can understand the perspective that someone is coming from so I can force prioritization. And I always try to share the context and the things that I'm considering in terms of decision-making so that others understand why we are prioritizing things the way that we are.
0: And then Sumeya, favorite framework. And first, I want to clarify, I incorrectly added customer discovery to your framework. I think what you meant is just broader discovery. Maybe you could uh, reiterate that and then dive into your favorite framework.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the framework that I've been using a lot in my work has been the the discovery and framing one that I mentioned. I actually forgot the name of the gentleman who, who came up with it. But there are, in general, three frameworks in addition to it that I use. User-centered design, and, and that to me is a principle, is, is a set of ways of thinking. And then the second one is the sentiment around experimentation or lean um, the stuff that Eric Reese talks about a lot. So between those three, I think in general, I, I try to, especially when I have new uh, products managers join the team, I try to have them get on the same page in general in terms of practices by learning those three areas. UCD, Lean, practices by Eric Reese, and then discovery and framing.
0: We could always count on Sumeya for frameworks at the drop of a hat. It's one of multiple superpowers that she puts on display here and How to Succeed in Product Management. Speaking of superpowers, Red's superpower is that he could both make us laugh and help us become better informed and help the community feel more attached to each other and engaged in important conversations. Uh, So Red, founding advisory board member on the Product Management Center, it's your show. Do your thing.
2: (laughs) No pressure, right? I have to do all these things you just described, Jeff. Thank you. But you didn't say, could just show people what good looking looks like. I was offended.
0: I'm just <laughs> I, don't infer the silence to mean anything more than... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No intent behind the silence.
2: Sure. Well, I'm just playing. I, what I What I don't want to play around with, though, is the people tonight who are currently in the audience have an opportunity to get what they needed out of listening. So you're listening right now. There are a bunch of you that ultimately want to selfishly walk away with something that is a nugget of experience, knowledge, joy, something you can take home for the holidays. But in order to get there, I need your help. Raise your hand and we'll invite you up on stage. And whether you want to contribute, stoke that controversy, or more importantly, ask that question, we want to make this as inclusive as possible. So first of all, to help everyone, there's a little button at the bottom of your screen, a little clubhouse button. Looks like a hand on top of a notebook. Click on that. And that will make it so you are raising your hand to come up on stage. Now, this is being recorded. So if you're a little bit shy about coming up on stage, you can also join the Slack group and ask me to represent you with a question. And I won't even need to say your name if you prefer from a privacy perspective. Ultimately, we just want you to selfishly walk away with what you need. So for anyone who has questions, the stage is yours. Now, we already have someone who just joined all the way from our friends on our neighbors up north from Canada. Please, Sam, what is the question? How can we support you?
5: Hey, Rad. Hey, Samaya. It's been forever, my friend. Good to see you here, Nora and Jeff. So, I am still finding my baby steps in this fascinating space of product management. In the company that I work with today, one of the assignments that I am responsible for is to, in fact, work with our product and design organizations. So, they are two separate functions. And I was asked to facilitate conversations around adopting a pod structure for the design organization. So I'm not talking of the product organization, but the design organization. And um, being the newbie in, in this space myself, I come to you with this question. Would you please help, help and share with me your thoughts around the effectiveness and efficiency of having a pod structure, in a company that had used a legacy you know structure um as in human capital structure to its product organization design and design organization and what have you what success did you see adopting a pod structure whether whether it be it in your companies or companies that you you came across in your experience this is sam and uh, i'm done speaking back to you red and everyone thank you
2: Thank you, Sam. And I saw Samea come off mute to clap and welcome you back. And uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm sensing a clarifying question, Samea. I'm sensing one, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a chance here to, to weigh in. And... <laughs> oh,
3: good to see you, Sam. And yes, Red, you have uh, learned to read my um, my microphone. I, th- the clarifying question, Sam. I have
5: is around
3: when you talk about pod structure. I'm curious about what you mean. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: Sure thing. So my understanding from the VP of the, uh, the design organization is that in his mind, so he comes to us from uh, Amazon and he brings this idea to us. He wants to put a team. It, to me, it sounds more like this is a cross-functional team where the pod design lead, so the leadership team there will be will be a permanent job, a, per- a permanent position in that structure. but editors, content managers, and and everyone else who come from their own specialization, they're not permanent members of this pod. So say, for example, we wanted to uh, um, introduce a new feature in one of our products. So the way we go about it, well, potentially in the future, is to have a pod that will come together around um, introducing this project, around introducing this new feature or if we wanted to introduce a new product altogether in the market so we go through a similar process like like you described Samaya, the discovery and, and what have you but then the team that will be working on the design um, the product design will will be formed in in what what is known as as a pod structure yeah. so this is the best way I can describe it I, yeah. I hope I did fair job there in there
3: yeah, no, that's actually consistent with my understanding, too. Um, I think uh, whenever we talk about pods or product pods, it means it's a multidisciplinary team of people who might not belong to or report to a single manager, but to different managers. And they come together to work on either an initiative or a product or even an experiment that's consistent with my understanding so sam just to in a hate to ask you to repeat your question one more time but what is the question
5: so in a nutshell how effective did you see that pod structure work in tech companies and maybe if you wanted to as well highlight some of the you know the challenges that would face a pod structure as such i would much appreciate that
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'll share my insight. And then, Nora, I'd love also to hear from you. I think within the tech and media companies I've worked with, we've only had like pod teams. And by that, I mean teams that were multidisciplinary. They weren't more than 10, usually in size, more than 10 people. I've also worked in financial services where the size of the teams has been large and and I've seen that not working. I think uh, to me, one of the lessons learned has been around what is the most effective size of a pod. And then everything else beyond that is about the, the stuff that would make the team effective, whether it was in, within a pod structure or not, things around clarity of expectations, giving them the resources they need to get the work done, enabling them as a team to form norms, storm and perform. And uh, of course, that's not a linear process. And all of that, I, I think, exists beyond just a pod. The pod is not You know, a magical thing is just different people coming together to work in a mindset, in a product mindset on a on a specific problem. So I'm a big fan, but I also think that it it needs to be done well and supported well
5: for it to work. Fantastic. Thank you for the share, Sabaya.
2: Well, I I know I want to be sensitive to other people that are on stage and with the time on the show. Nora, did you uh, want to weigh in on this one as far as additional information?
1: not too much more i think i would just say that you kind of hear about the the stories of what amazon thought about in terms of a team shouldn't be larger than the ability to share a, a pizza and i think that makes sense to me you know once you get beyond six to eight people it becomes a little bit more difficult to manage and think about how to structure the the, the team i think you know I think I, I a lot about the within the the pod uh, as well how to work with assigning engineers with each other to pair on the projects that they're working with and i think there's a lot that, that can be considered around there as well Wow, I heard everything you
2: said specific to pizza, but then missed everything else. I'm so sorry.
3: The two pizza rule.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm just playing around. That was fantastic. And I think, by the way, that pizza rule, other industries and other departments, I would adhere. It's not just product that it makes the most sense for. But today's about product. Today's about inclusiveness. Sam, thank you for being the first to jump up on stage for this uh, Q&A session. Raul, you're a familiar face. Welcome back. To the crew with official product in your byline, we welcome you and want to know how we can support you.
4: What's up, Red? How you doing, everyone? Nice to nice to see familiar faces. It's like nice to see you again, but really, we're all just profile pictures, but
3: <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> and Raul, um, before you ask your question, sure. because you work in a completely different space, and that's yeah. you know the gaming space, I'd love yep. for you... Like if you've heard us talk about the product development process, but some of what you do has like high shipping velocity, like beyond anything else, beyond other industries. So if you have any insights you want to share, please do.
4: Yeah. So we release a new version every 14 days. So that's like, I don't know, 10, 15 business days. I don't know, like eight business days or so, we release a new version of an app store, the app store. Pods work for sure. hundred percent. Pods are the way to go. You have a revenue pod. You have a server pod. You have a dev pod. You have all these different pods that focus on different aspects of the app. Um, the one thing that works really well is if these pods have one cohesive communication with each other to make sure everyone's submitting on the same branch. Everyone's making sure that they're they're committing all the same code and everyone's reaching the same kind of end goal. So working in pods is is the best for quick sprints, in my opinion. However, it does get a little bit hairy when you have one pod. You know, try to do a little bit more or optimize a little bit more. That maybe takes a bit much more time and, and doesn't. Really, it maybe delays the whole the whole sprint. So just watch out for that. But um, yeah, quick bursts of energy is is how we roll in, in mobile apps and games, especially when um our product is not driven by the product managers at all. It's driven by sales and, and our marketing team. I, I like to hire them based on our sales and marketing team because I know it's very agile and even in mid sprint they like to switch how they think and what we build. So we need a team of developers and QA and testers who are okay with that. So you have to hire um, the mindset of what you're fitting in the team. Like you don't want to bring in a team member uh, to an environment where they feel uncomfortable. You know, like if, if, if you've, there's a developer who's working on something and then you ask them to stop and then shift gears and then that happens so many times, they're going to they're gonna leave. You're going to have a high churn rate on your team and no one's going to want to work with you. But if you engineer and work with the team and everyone's on the same page of how things um, are... In terms of being dynamic, um, it's okay to build things, break them, rebuild it up. That's very important. You have to know what kind of type of team you are. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of ways to build product, and there's a lot of one directional ways, but there's a lot of multi ways to get to the end and end goal to, to, together. that's um, so kind of my my experience in a nutshell. Is that
3: that what you're saying? Yes, Raul, we've had this conversation before and I always uh, appreciate the nuance of your experience because it looks different for someone like me who has built enterprise software, for example. So thank you for that. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Oh, Raul, I, know I want to give you space for a question. But first, I got a comment. You said, oh, it's good to see us again. We're just profile pictures. But I feel like we are getting to know one another because when you first started calling in, when we started the show back in February, you'd be whispering with a baby sleeping on you. And if I'm listening carefully enough, I think that's no longer a baby. I think you've got a, a laughing little child in the background, is yeah, that right?
4: Yeah, they're, they're yelling at me, straight up. Yeah, <laughs> yep, hi, yeah. Jeff says hi.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. So Ro, did you have a question you wanted to ask as well or is that what you wanted to come up and, and share?
4: Um, yeah, just, just real quick. My, my question was kind of what I was talking about, um, you know, Nora, with your experience. I haven't spoken to you and it's very nice to meet you um, In your experience. Is it, is it best to hire teams Um, that are are dynamic for the, like, that adjust to the executive level? Or do you like to hire teams that maybe, like, kind of create their own sort of work ethic and their own group, and then you try to convince the executives to kind of buy into how you work?
1: That's a really interesting question, and I would just caveat this with I I have not had yet the privilege of hiring anyone directly myself. But when I imagine how I think teams would work best, is I I do think that there needs to be a level of strategy and direction coming from executives, and I think that perhaps the best strategy and direction would then enable teams to find the best way to work towards one common goal. And so I personally think about if, if if an executive team is doing a great job of outlining a overall company strategy to follow. Then each team will feel empowered in terms of the work that they need to do to achieve those objectives, and so it's going to be a little bit of a mixture of a top-down and a bottom-up approach, in my perspective. And the best approaches would be able to enable being nimble and responding to whatever is discovered within the product development process.
0: Red, it's your show to manage. I, I stepped in to talk about babies, and you showed <laughs> us your magic you and also read Simea's mind, but well, you couldn't what I read couldn't my mind. Read
2: well, you know what? Problem is real. My kids heard your kids and they thought my show was over. So they just burst into the room. Okay. <laughs> it's Daddy kid is time. I'm like, no, bring the kids
0: to podcast day. We should do, <laughs> we should have a whole, I want to bring my daughters on here. We should have a whole random episode about what kids think about product management. Kids and in product podcasting.
2: management. There you go, Jeff. Let's start them young. Get, in, yeah. get get the, the future of product looking bright. Well, Raul, uh, hopefully that uh, gives you a lot of perspective on on the questions. And ultimately, dude, come back. Every week, you're always here. Come back to the stage and uh, we're going to reach out privately. We'd love to get some more perspective on your work in the gaming space. Because again, we have a lot of product managers that are representing more B2B work. And uh, in the B2C space with that kind of iterative cycle, it's a whole different game. So thank you again, Raul, for that perspective. Really helpful. I have to apologize. I know that we have three minutes before we have to get the closing thoughts. If you have a quick question, 30 seconds, please lunch in, and then we can also continue to next week and see if we get more time for you on those questions.
4: Hey, Ray. Uh, hey, hey, my friend. So long time no see. So good to see you again.
2: So Great to see you again, too. And congrats on all the success I'm hearing about your business that you started during
4: COVID. So well done. Yeah, thank you. And I will be precise. So question regarding... Product management for startups, uh, which is uh, hardware slash software. So what's the right way to build that? uh, I don't know how to say maybe a roadmap for hardware startup, hardware slash uh, software startups. And what's the best way to get uh, your product around your sales? I know that. So my question might be, (laughs)
2: <laughs> it, I wouldn't say it's tangential, it's just that I think from an experience, you know, Sumeya, when I first met you, I thought you built rocket ships because of Space Force, you know, and just like, okay, uh, but I don't think that you you might have the uh, necessary background to want to dive into this with only a minute left, so I, mean, I might have to push this and defer this question off unless I get cut off by Sumeya. No, you're I, accurate, I Red. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd say, no, Red, I do design rocket ships. Come on, man.
0: Yeah, that's the big Uh, secret we learned nine months after doing it, 10 months after doing this, that Sumaya is actually building rocket ships and taking us all to the first journey to the moon in decades, right?
2: That's why I started this clubhouse, 100%. Yes, yes. not figuratively, as long as it's not. Yeah. So, I mean, I am going to say I would uh, defer to future conversations where we talk about physical product management rather than the ones that are more in the digital space that we're typically aligned with. But Jeff, do we have any resources that we can point them to or any any other connections that are more aligned with that space? And just, Jeff, so you have context, I mean, has a physical product that uh, sits on top of a car and it's continuously iterating and just wanting to talk to another professional in the space would be uh, a huge difference.
0: I'm. I am shocked, Red, that you are missing your opportunity to pitch the Product Management Center Slack group. We've got over 1,200 product managers. They span hardware, software, B two C, B two B. They're kind of all over the map, and most of them live the values of the Product Management Center, which are uh, inclusion, so uh, empowering, inspiring, and bold. And so, um, I think if you join the Product Management Center Slack channel and put out a request in the general channel of, "Hey, I want to connect with other hardware." product managers, uh, you should be able to find somebody there who could help you. So, I mean, thank you so much for getting up on stage. Sorry, we ran out of time for a, a meaty question. and it's But, Nora, it's time for concluding thoughts. <laughs> Any, yeah, anything you'd like to leave the audience with?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I would say that, you know, frankly, as a product manager, I, I really view it as my role to empower others to, to build the right things. And I think anything that I can do to work with my team and, and unblock them to help them understand the problem that we're trying to solve and why I should be doing that. And so in my perspective, you know, as I mentioned before, some of the most important things are communication and soft skills and being able to understand the personalities that you work with, keeping an open mind, being curious, always speaking with customers taking input from as many people as you can and then th- going about and making decisions in a prioritized and principled manner. So those are just some closing thoughts for me. I have a lot left to learn. I, I only have three and a half years of experience in this space. So I'm really excited about the, the rest of the learning that I will do in the future as well.
0: All right, Nora. And I think another concluding thought, I'm going to intersperse them so I get multiple concluding thoughts, but I want to conclude with a thank you to you, Nora. Again, Nora has figured things out and is quick to share her insights to help the next generation get into product management. I'm so grateful that Nora has done some pretty thoughtful mock interviews, some product sense mock interviews with the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator cohort and giving very constructive feedback. I think when you have people like Nora and Sumaya and Red who have paved a way and are willing to not just can feedback about where somebody needs to go, but to give encouragement and empower somebody to achieve what they can achieve their potential and uh, put their best selves forward. So I'm grateful when we interact with people like Nora and Sumeya, who really find people's hidden superpowers and help them bring that to be less, less than hidden and achieve their full potential. So thank you again. And Sumea. Any concluding thoughts?
3: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm going to conclude with with this thought. Most of what you heard here has been specific the, to the context uh, of the work that Nora and I have been doing. And so, you know, if you try to apply it to other, let's say, markets or types of products, most of what you heard might not work and that's actually the beauty of product management—the the nuance, how uh, just changing one variable can change the whole thing. So I love that about product management. I find it exhilarating. It, the learning never stops, and so I, you know, I, I encourage everyone if they have that mindset to keep learning more, talk to other PMS, and I look forward to talking uh, to other PMS here who have uh, experienced building different products that I have not experienced myself. So thanks again for putting this together. And it was a pleasure to share the stage with you, Nora.
0: All right. We're in a mutual admiration society here. Red, one last person who we're all grateful for. It's a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving, but we can always express our gratitude. you made this possible. This podcast, you got us here together on February, 2021. 10 months later, we're a podcast of thousands of people all over the world can hear these recorded every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. You've earned a chance to say what you want to leave the audience. I was going to say the
2: same thing, Jeff, you took the words out of my mouth. I, I will point out that next week is our 30th episode, I believe. And it's just a huge milestone for the community. And what I ultimately care about is making sure that you, who took the time this evening to listen to us, walks away with value. So please, if you have feedback about the shows, if you need help getting into the community, jump into that slap group, DM us. Or if you're not in it yet, please find me on LinkedIn or Twitter and just say, hey, Red, hook me up. I want to get in because that's the ultimate goal, making product management accessible to all. So, Jeff, back to you. I'm just grateful for you and the opportunity for what University of Washington has done to make this possible.
0: All right. So with that, I just want to say thank you to all who've listened. Thank you to all who give back to the product management center and the community we're trying to build or we are building or have built and continue to build. I'm really grateful for all those who all those of you who share your insights and all of those of you who just give back and support one another as best you can. So thank you, Nora. Thank you, Sumea, for a fantastic show. And Red, the managing the stage in yet again, thank you for that. We'll see everybody next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And that concludes our show.